You're afraid of you, of death. You're the last one. You were supposed to be the last. Stark asked for a savior and settled for a slave. I suppose we are both disappointments. <laughs> I suppose we are. Humans are odd. They think order and chaos are somehow opposites and try to control what won't be. But there is grace in their failings. I think you missed that. They're doomed. Yes. But a thing isn't beautiful because it lasts. It's a privilege to be among them. You're unbearably naive. Well, I was born yesterday. The world outside your window, it's not great, but here on Post Show Recaps, everything is super. It's the podcast dedicated to all things superheroic, presently focused on the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Hello, everybody. I am Josh Wiggler here with your Avengers Age of Ultron recap podcast. I know we've all been very on the edge of our seats waiting for this one to drop some technical difficulties along the way that I want to just completely lay at the feet of one Kevin Mahadeo. Oh, you jerk. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Typical. To, so, you know what? You're the Ultron in this situation. I'm going to uh, be the vision. Just somehow I'm going to blame your for the setting. errors in your programming. <laughs> yeah. Well, to keep the Pinocchio talk uh, up, uh, my nose is growing with the lie. It's totally my fault that we are delayed. We are delayed. Uh, but we are here. We are back. If you're listening to this and all of like the binge catch up, then you're like, what's the big deal? But we missed a week. Sorry about that. Totally my fault. Life is happening. Uh, but we're back to talk about Age of Ultron. And you know what, Kevin? I don't mind that we had an extra week to think about this one because I think Avengers Age of Ultron is a movie that is worth chewing on, right? This is like one of those like it's a it's a it's a piece of meat that's a little harder to chew uh then maybe uh you're typically used to but does that mean that it's bad and it's trash i don't know the metaphor is not great um but metaphor i think, could be better <laughs> but but i think you get the gist of what i'm saying is that like the stake is still a stake and the, the avengers movie is still an avengers movie um does that mean if it's the weakest of the avengers movies is it trash or is it just the weakest of the avengers movie is it, and, and it still can be good because i think i would be uh, mind blown if you came on here and you told me uh, that after revisiting Age of Ultron, you're like, this is not the worst Avengers movie. This is clearly the worst of the four Avengers movies. It's not even uh, a debate. It's not It's not a debate. And I think yeah. you're right. The debate is just how bad is it or how good is it comparatively. And it's crazy. I think you're right. I think more time for this movie was good. And I don't think like the time gave me much of a change in my opinion, but it's so weird. This is... I think I've made this statement before, and I, it may have made it last week, but I feel like this movie might be the most controversial of the MCU films in terms of just, like, how people feel about it. Like, there's just, like, it's good, it's bad for Iron Man 3, but I feel like there's just such a weird thing about this film. There's so much, like, people don't, like, it's just a movie that exists. Is it is it bad because it's not as good as the rest of them? Was it, like, the follow-up was really hard to do? Uh, ultimately, I think, you know, after sitting on this and after talking about it, um, with, with, uh, Robin, like, I think the best description that I can give for this movie 
into what it is is the problem with it the ultimate problem the ultronic problem oh. is that it's a movie where you can see the seams and i think that's the problem you can see I, the strings i can see the strings they are i can see all the strings from the puppet masters you know of you, this movie you keep saying ultron there are no strings on me there are no strings on me and that's like the kind of talk of somebody who's definitely strung up it's like definitely you know, you're trying to will something into existence, and I appreciate that. But we see, we see you, strings. We see you yeah. on this movie. This is, this is like sort of, I think, in in a way, in in a less egregious way, and certainly because there are aspects of this movie that work really well, and even at a baseline, it's funny in a very Joss Whedon-y way, and the characters with the actors playing them, the the script has to be utter dog shit for the movie to also be dog shit right um like because people are just going to elevate stuff and even in the cases of i think either some outright problematic storylines or just some lackluster or underwritten storylines um i think actors boost those things past what they could have been or should have been based on the quality of the decision making um but i think it's 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 the thor the dark world of avengers movies i mean to an extent but i i would say even Thor the Dark World, I mean, like, we ultimately ended up, like, that movie stood for nothing and it was bad. I don't even think this, it's not, it's not even that this movie didn't stand for anything. There's, like you said, there's some great stuff and there's some problematic stuff. But the problem is we can see the strings dangling because it's all stuff that you could see how behind the scenes what happened. And, like, that's the issue, I think, at the end of the day. Like, even if you don't know the stuff, you can sort of taste and, and feel it. Like, the, the, the studio interferences, the, like, we didn't tired and the pushing and pulling of that, like, so yeah. much of it, I think, was present. Joss and Whedon not... is so obviously tired writing. And so much this so, movie. and yeah. I, I, I think you know, you, you, you called something really interesting um, where you talked about the Whedonness of this film, and I talked about the Whedonness of the first Avengers and how much I liked it. I think, if anything, there's the parts of Whedon that get amped up a lot in this movie, and almost like the opening sequence, the entire opening sequence when they're in, you know, attacking the the base and everything, looking for the scepter. That. If you enjoy a lot that part of it, you'll probably like this movie because it is everything we like. It's the encompassment. There's like great action scenes. There's great interplay between the characters, but there's also like a very hard lot of weeding these jokes. I yeah. loved like the the like never surrender. Okay, I'm going to surrender. And you get later on where the like you know um, language good, language good talk. No, it wasn't like. Stuff like that is very Whedon, but very funny. And if you don't like that stuff, if it's too much, in fact, because they amped it up so much, I don't think you're going to end up liking this film. And you see a lot of that in terms of the Whedon effect, right? He's very tired, so he's almost just putting out stuff that that I think is not always his strongest. There's things in here that I have very big problems with, and I know he's gone to a well before, which we can talk about when we get to it. But yeah, there's that. There's the fox of it all. The, with, with the with, with Quicksilver, which I think was all over this, which sucked. You got You have to explain that to people because there's. I would guess the vast majority of people listening to this have no idea what you mean, and they they think that you're suddenly dragging my wife into this mess. Uh, well, your wife what, was responsible for. This. She was <laughs> the great Emily Fox, responsible for a Quicksilver disaster. But I I, I think to just like quickly set what yes, what I believe right. you mean is that Quicksilver. Um, is is one of these strange net, uh, Nexus characters at the time that uh, Fox was independently its own thing and they owned the X-Men rights and Disney owned Marvel Studios with some ex- notable exceptions, including Spider-Man and surrounding characters. 
and the X-Men in its huge world of characters. And Quicksilver, because Quicksilver, I believe, was introduced as an Avenger um, in Marvel Comics, should fall under the Marvel Studios purview. But simultaneously, Quicksilver is Magneto's son in the comic books. Uh, so he's also a critical X-Men character, potentially. So Marvel and Fox independently have access to Quicksilver. And almost out of spite, it seems like, because Quicksilver is already, I believe that the order of operations on this, is he's announced as a participant as a character in Avengers Age of Ultron. And then it comes out that Quicksilver is going to be in X-Men Days of Future Past. Uh, uh, the- wait, what do you... Wait, uh... uh- a spiteful act on the part of Fox? That and seems I, and, so and it, unlike and, and them. And it really does feel like it is an act of war. And I remember as somebody who was covering this stuff uh, professionally when I was covering comic book movies as my main beat, being like, oh, this shit's juicy. Uh, Battle of the Quicksilvers. I have no skin in the game. Like, give me two good Quicksilvers or two shitty Quicksilvers. We'll see what happens. Um, and all of my money would have been on Avengers having the better of the two Quicksilvers. And I think that they play the trick again too much in uh, X-Men Apocalypse, which is a bad movie. But Days of Future Past is kind of a fun movie. And the Quicksilver scene is very, very notably great and a, and a real show-stopping um, uh, showcase for the Quicksilver uh, superpower of slowing down time and him going so fast. And you're really in hit, rooted in his perspective, and it's really, really great. And Evan Peters, who's playing the character and is a you know the, a Ryan Murphy regular, uh, is playing the character with such relish. And then Aaron Johnson, who is also a very good actor, is cast as Quicksilver for Joss Whedon, and yet he kind of just gives this sort of very vanilla Quicksilver take, and he dies. Then they just kill him. You said something interesting here. Well, first off, it's also interesting, a more active war. Both these guys were in the same movie together, Kick-Ass. So they even pulled actors That's from true. the same similar film. But, but I actually, feel like Fox is like is like throwing is like taking a slingshot to Goliath and they get a stone in the eye because their Quicksilver's better. Well, so this is the debate. This is the debate right now. And I, I, I am willing to have this discussion because I, after watching this movie and taking this movie, which is his only instance of this character in the MCU, put against a Quicksilver that I have seen in um, Days of Future Past, in Apocalypse, and then in Dark Phoenix. If the question is looking at all that, which is the better Quicksilver, my opinion is Avengers sure. Quicksilver by a mile. And sure. if we look at if we look at just let's looking at um, this movie versus Days of Future Past, I agree Days of Future Past that that scene where he's running around is done incredibly well. It's excellently shot. It's a real fun way to showcase his powers. That said, I didn't find it super original because I feel like that was something I've almost seen before. When someone moves fast, they slow down time. Um, I mean, honestly, Futurama did this years before. I mean, and yes, it's animated. But I actually really, really, really liked the showcase of Quicksilver's powers in, in Avengers because it wasn't the normal way of doing it. I liked the, the, the lightning, the, not even the lightning effect, the after effects that they do, how he moves, how he acts. Now, the other last thing I will say in defense of this is also a personal preference because to me, the X-Men Quicksilver approached that character in its own way. They didn't, I don't think they drew from the comics at all. I think they were like, he's a fast kid. And what is a fast kid like? I know ADHD. And we even saw them do that with Sonda Hedgehog recently. ADHD, right? That's his, that's going to be his shtick. That's not Quicksilver. The Quicksilver we see in Avengers is 100% Quicksilver from the comics. He's a person who's impatient. And, like, he just cannot deal with other people's 
slowness in a way, like slow moving. Like Peter David probably is the greatest Quicksilver writer in existence. He's written that character a lot, and he's one of the best comic writers for him. If you want recommendations on that, check out his X Factor. Check out his recent recent X Factor stuff. Incredible, but good comic Peter, book Rex from Kevin Mahade. Yeah, Peter David nailed what Quicksilver is because Quicksilver in one of the issues was talking to a therapist, and he said, "Have you ever been on a, in a line?" behind someone at the ATM. And that person in front of you at the ATM has no idea what they're moving or what they're doing. And you're so impatient and you just want to yell at them to hurry up. Oh my God, please just go. It's not that difficult. That is my entire life. Perfect explanation of what Quicksilver is. And that's the version we kind of see here. So to me, again, long- I think with a big emphasis on kind of though, like Quicksilver's really underwritten in this movie. He's underwritten because unfortunately, but the way he's done, he's honestly one of my favorite parts. The little bits of it, the part where they're arguing and he just unplugs the thing and is like, no, no, keep going. I think is one of the best parts of that movie. It's hilarious. I think he's well executed in the parts that he has. He's unfortunately not utilized properly because again, when you see the seams, because even like that right there that you're talking about is a seam. Even people who don't know what's going on behind the scenes about the Quicksilver thing could look at this movie and be like, man, everyone else in this movie is written pretty well. What happened with Quicksilver? You're still seeing a seam. You just don't know why that seam is there. Yeah. Um, and I think though, like that's this movie in a nutshell. There's so much of that. The lips. Josh, I'm I did sorry. notice it this time. Ultra's I noticed it this time. It's so weird. And we it's got so weird. About that. And I feel like that is an executive decision almost, yes. right? Like, I can see an executive being like, well, he's got to have a moving mouth like a person. And, and so, it's so like, annoying because, like, Ultron's mouth is, like, it, it, in the comics, the way that, like, it's depicted when it's at its best, I feel like, is is sort of, like, a great version of what they're going for in the first Spider-Man movie with Green Goblin, right? Static mouth. Yes. Doesn't really move. <laughs> It kind of looks like what a, a Power call Ranger, um, yeah. but I but I think like what what would work cinematically in like a more modern era with with Ultron, and it would fit really well with with the aesthetics that they already have and that they lean on in in large portions of this movie, or at least great portions of this movie, is the Iron Man helmet. You could just have that thing jump up and down, and that would be horrifying to see Iron Man's face essentially like barking at you. With like these horrifying articulate thoughts, the robot doesn't need these like nimble, nubile, flexible, supple lips. Agreed. It's very and evocative and weird. It makes me feel things that I weird. don't want to be thinking about. It's just it's so odd, and it's also like I think thematically to have him be like you said closer to the Iron Man chomping thing gives him a better contrast to vision, which is the point of the characters, is their yeah. contrast of machine versus man. There's, there's so, humanity versus their inhumanity. Exactly. Yeah. And you lose that when you give vision lips. And it's so when you give weird. Ultron like, lips, yeah, yeah. Sorry, when you give Ultron lips, yes. And it's just again, it's it's so much of this movie is those things where you're just like, you see the problems that clearly existed there's for so that. many various there, reasons. Th- there are those types of clashes and um there are also like the world building clashes, I think, where this is a setup movie. Um, yes. Whether that was Whedon's choice or that was a, a call above his pay grade of like. I think famously they forced the Thor scene into the correct, movie against correct. his wishes. But, like, did he just want to make an awesome Ultron movie? Uh, and Marvel and Disney were like, great, that actually works out because then we can extend the Thanos stuff and spend more time building up to make that even more epic. But your movie has to start setting that stuff up. 
And so this is like a conflicting movie. It is it is a movie that wants to have its own forgive the pun, its own unique vision, right? Like it wants to be the 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 man makes uh, God in the machine and suffers for it movie. It wants to be the Frankenstein of superhero movies, um, but there is uh, a like a cigar chomping studio executive with a Mickey Mouse hat on standing over the thing being like, yeah, but you got to have Thor see the whole infinity saga. Like you got to have, you have to, you have to have Iron Man like tweaking out and seeing everybody dead at Thanos' throne. Uh, We got to start setting that shit up. Um, And Whedon doesn't want to do that. And so maybe Whedon shouldn't be making the movie. Other people had walked away um, from, from Marvel movies when their visions have been compromised. Edgar Wright, we're going to talk about Ant-Man next week. Um, and we're going to talk about how that movie is almost like, I don't know if I want to say it's a miracle that it exists. It's kind of like it exists and like <laughs> it exists. That's in, probably where our review is going to land. <laughs> well, it, it, it exists in spite of a lot of these kinds of problems. I don't think it's a surprise that um, two directors with very clear visions for what they want to do have trouble and falling outs with, uh, with Marvel and Disney back to back in Age of Ultron and Ant-Man, with Ant-Man being like uh, a tapered down version of what it could have ended up being. I actually like those movies more than I think the average bear, but uh, I haven't rewatched the first one in a long time, so we'll see. Um, yeah, I think a lot of that, you see that. You, you, don't, you don't just see like the, quicksil- the clash of the Quicksilvers, and I think like conspiratorially, you can get to the place of like, well, Marvel just decided to kill Quicksilver because they didn't want the hassle, they don't want the trouble, with X-Men, but Whedon loves this trick, right? Like, get you invested in somebody, kill a person off, everybody has to avenge the person, and this is an Avengers movie. So it feels very Whedon-y to surprisingly kill off Quicksilver. We've been waiting for Hawkeye to die for so long, and he just hasn't yet, you know? (laughs) Boy, boy, you said the magic word, because am I excited to go on a huge rant right now about Hawkeye? I mean, my my, my, my name on on our, our little chat stream is Died for Hawkeye, and I'm like to me that's the most egregious part of this movie too. Where you're right, Whedon is noted for this, right? And when this movie was happening, me in my meta head, knowing Whedon, I was like, at first, I was like, oh man, he's gonna kill Hawkeye. Then I, the moment I start to like Quicksilver, I was like, oh, I see what's gonna happen here. He's and that does suck when, yeah, yeah, that does suck when I know the meta ness of it. But it's also just really upsetting because like I saw so much potential in the Quicksilver character, still way more than I see in Hawkeye, even at the end of Endgame. And it's really frustrating that two characters die for this this character. Two people, Black Widow eventually and Quicksilver yeah. here die for Hawkeye. And I, it really it bugs me. The Hawkeye stuff really bugs me in this because of the, the the other part of it, which you know we don't have to get into right now. We can finish talking about all this other stuff because Hawkeye is its own other thing. But like it was just such a like like I said like at the beginning, this movie is very very Whedon. It's very Whedon. And if and if if the things that you even like about Whedon get amped up high and it could maybe even burn the people who like him. Yeah. Uh, which maybe happened to me a little bit, I guess. <laughs> but I, I think it's, I think it's like a, it's a reactionary movie in a, in a lot of ways of like, um, people loved the science bros. Let's give them more science bros. Or people, uh, thought that Hawkeye didn't have a storyline and Jeremy Renner was disappointed that Hawkeye wasn't a character. He was a puppet. Let's actively put that on the board of Hawkeye saying, I'm done being brainwashed. And let's also give him a storyline where we meet his secret family. 
Um, yeah, so compelling. And it works for some people, and I'm glad it exists, because otherwise the very compelling first scene of Endgame doesn't exist. And that first scene of Endgame is excellent. Uh, really, really, really great. Um, and I think that that's like the tricky eye of the needle on this movie. of like It tilts on this axis of, is this a good movie, or is this a bad movie, or is it just in the middle? And for me, there are a lot of weights on the side of the seesaw that is dragging it to hell, you know, that is that is trying to anchor it down. And yet it is literally like the weight of Mark Ruffalo as the Hulk. It is the weight of Tony Stark in Hulkbuster armor uh, and Robert Downey Jr. playing the hell out of the character, as he often does, just by virtue of being Robert Downey Jr. Uh, it's Chris Evans grabbing a log and ripping it in half with his bare freaking hands. Don't touch my pile. <laughs> Don't touch my pile. You know, it's 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 that stuff and it's and it's forget the forget the lips. It is the voice of yes. James Spader as Ultron. Um who as written by Whedon, I I know people think that maybe he's too jokey of a character. I don't care. The marriage of like that comedy and the darkness of the character and like the angst of the idea of like being uh I'm going to tear apart all of creation because I hate my creator effectively. Uh the idea of like the petulant son gone uh horribly wrong because they had a, a terrible father. Admonish the father, but now you must also admonish the son is mythical and crazy and cool, and James Spader is the choice. He is the best choice. Um, and I've been going back and forth in a pretty hard way as I've been assessing Ultron for my rankings of the villains here um, some days in the past couple of weeks as we've had time to think about this. Ultron has risen as high as a 5.8. That's very him, high. I docked very point- high. Two points for each lip, uh, <laughs> and I almost had him at a six because James Spader's performance kills me. One of my all-time favorite performances in a Marvel movie, um, and I have I have him lower than that right now. Um, but it's possible it'll still go higher over the course of this conversation because I feel myself getting fired up. Uh, he's so creepy. He's so cool. He's so good. He is let down by a movie that wants to be a specific thing and has to have all of these other things attached to it, but he is also so good that it will vary from viewer to viewer. For me, it works more than it does not. Not that it works completely, but it works for me more than it doesn't. Uh, Ultron specifically, not Age of Ultron as a movie. But I think for me, um, as a movie, Age of Ultron, generally, if I have to thumbs down it or thumbs up it, I give it a tepid thumbs up. I would I would skew more towards positive, but it 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 deserves its place as the bottom ranked Avengers movie, and I think it deserves its place in like the lower end of Marvel movie rankings of the MCU. I think ultimately I will be surprised if Age of Ultron uh you know gets close to the top even 15. I don't I don't see that happening. Um, yeah, and you know, we we just railed against this movie for a while, so I think it's great that you bring up Ultron to almost like flip the switch here because there are some great things, and I agree. There's a lot of there's a lot of really good. Things. There's a lot of really good things, and like starting with Ultron, right? I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think James Spader kills it in that, like, he has that voice and the way that he first scene. Lines. 
With when the disembodied voice, the Jarvis Ultron battle, and then yeah, and then that that yeah, uh, oh yeah, when he like, it, but yeah, when it's just a two floating um, yeah. um, CPUs basically was it's so horrifying. Great. It's horrifying, and it's really well done. And what I like about Ultron two as a villain is that he is unique, though. Maybe he's too jokey, but he does remind me. You know, going back to the weediness, he reminds me of the mayor from Buffy season three, who was a very unique villain because his personality and quirks weren't what you would normally align with someone villainous. And I think we saw that in Ultron. That's unique. That's different. That's stands out above you know your killians and as you know and will be revealed i dropped killian down after this movie because i'm reminded oh right at the end of the day he is just like your justin hammers he's exactly like your you know um uh jeff bridges because i forgot his name obadiah stain and he's gonna be just like peyton or whatever his name is in um, is the director oh right sorry (laughs) Corey Corey Uh, stole yeah yellow jacket yes in in yellow jacket it's the same thing and ultron stands above because his personality is unique his motivations are connected to the hero there's a lot going on that has has him work really 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 well as a villain um and you know hitting to that scene we talked about another incredible thing in this movie and there's a lot of great stuff in all the other avengers films and maybe this is the weakest of the Avengers movies, but this movie has quite possibly one of the best scenes in the entire Avengers franchise in the entire party scene. From the moment they're at the party to Ultron coming out and the fight itself is next level amazing. Character yeah. beats, the jokes, the Stanley cameo, the lifting up the hammer, every moment of that entire set piece, that entire um, um, scene is incredible. And I think almost flawless in my opinion yeah should we um, do, do we have to decide this now is the we do the we do the informal stone rankings at the end of this and one of them is we're ranking every stanley cameo um uh todd enoch had written it and said stanley drunkenly slurring excelsior is the is the new top cameo or we riot kevin i'll say that i have arrived at the first stanley cameo that i would be pretty happy to put at number one over him drinking gamma irradiated juice. A hundred percent. I love that both of them are him drinking something. But I like, know, yes, but I think that, that this is moment, number one because it's such a good scene. It's so it's funny. It's hilarious. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like a link in the chain of just like this incredibly joyous chain that is happening over the course of the party scenes where, yeah, you're getting like you're getting some payoff from some things from phase two uh, with like you're getting more War Machine because he and Iron Man are like so buddied up now and War Machine's really like out there doing his thing. You get Falcon and and Cap getting to interact a little bit more and that's helpful to set up like what's the next iteration of the Avengers going to be because Civil War, which is the third and so far final Captain America movie, which is also really Avengers two and a half, right? Yep. Like this is all... Captain America Civil War is a better Avengers movie than Avengers Age of Ultron, uh, for sure. Uh, and uh, you're like getting all of that stuff, and then you get the the Mjolnir lifting, uh, and the what is really what was at the time like a fun moment with Cap like slightly moving Mjolnir. Huge payoff um, later, enormous payoff later, uh, which is like th- you don't have to apologize a drop for any of that. The way that like maybe you have to like. Uh, retroactively apologize a little bit for the Hawkeye's family farm stuff because like that pays off later. But like at the time, it's kind of like, man, we're just on Hawkeye's farm, huh? Uh, there's nothing to apologize for with the with the party scene, and it does have this tremendous buildup of uh, this destroyed Iron Man drone just like crawling to life and like showing up to destroy the party with all of these like half drunk Avengers. Yeah, <laughs> like, and uh. 
and the fight scene that follows is is great. And what's also good, I mean, the hammer scene, you know, something to bring back around is that not only was it just a good scene, not only was it a fun beat, it was purposeful because it was establishing what the hammer means. It, is, it was establishing what picking up that hammer means. And every one of them had to try to pick it up to realize they couldn't. So that when Vision picks it up at the end, yes. it is a perfect payoff yes. moment. And yes. it's so cleverly done. That is... That is to me like Weedon at his finest. That's like amazing plot. That's amazing character development. That's amazing structure. Totally. And those are the parts of the movie that I think do shine. The acting, like you said, oh my God. Like I think the acting is phenomenal across the board. The interactions, the interplay. Even like like you said, like um the we don't see them established, but even, you know, Elizabeth Olsen and, and Aaron Taylor Johnson as Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch are really good in those roles. I mean, they get, like especially Elizabeth Olsen gets so much better as she goes in this, especially when she drops the accent, which is weird that she had that that heavy in this movie. But whatever, strange. Yeah, they they get rid of it eventually. Yeah, it's like it's it's like when Storm had the accent in X Men One. But anyway, yeah. um, it is it, it, they're really really good, and I like their interplay as brother and sister as well. And those are the things that do shine. Like again, I do really like Quicksilver in this. I do really like Scarlet Witch, and I think they are one of the better parts of the movie as well. Um, so there's a lot of good, for as much as we were trashing a lot. <laughs> there's really good things. The action, the ending battle is still phenomenal. It's yeah, a lot of CG, Sokovia, but it's well I, done. I really like the Sokovia stuff because I, I love the idea of, you know, you always talk about the specificity of a, of a fight scene, and like, do you know where you are, and is it is it like distinguished? Like, is it distinct? Is this is this a unique setting? Um, and a floating continent is unique uh, as far as we've gotten so far. Yes, uh, through this point in the MCU and the Avengers, who are having to like stop this ex- uh, this extraterrestrial threat from falling through the sky upon New York in the first movie, to now having to stop these things that were very much created here on Earth from crashing down onto earth, this thing that they, by their actions or their inaction or whatever you want to assign it to, um, has, has risen effectively a meteor to slam down on the planet. And it's up to them to stop their own, like mismanagement of their team from crashing down and destroying the planet. It's a cool metaphor. Uh, and it, it yields really cool fight scenes. Um, the Hawkeye stuff is fun in it. And like, I, I do appreciate like when, when Hawkeye goes like, none of this makes sense. You're a witch who does little wavy things with your fingers. And I got a bow and arrow. It's weird. You know, like it's, it is too clever and too cute and too cute for some people. And I get that. But for me, like, I think it's fun. And I think that there's a lot of moments that stop down um, to, to have that and good drama. The Quicksilver death is very sad. Uh, I think it, um, it, it leads to Scarlet Witch, like going ham, which is a cool scene. Uh, Plus, he, he had to save Peter Parker. So that is that. That's right. Yeah, he had to save Sokovian Peter Parker, who is going to go on to be <laughs> Spider Man in a little while. Uh, absolutely, that needed to happen. Um, so, uh, but to watch like it, his death is worth it for the for the grief from Scarlet Witch, who's already lost so much and now has lost everything in losing her brother uh, and seeing her just tear Ultron apart. Um, and it, it also, if you count it as final battle stuff, because it's the death of Ultron, and it's the scene we hear at the top of this podcast, that scene between Vision and Ultron, to me, is um, the best, like, serious scene of the movie, and one of my all-time favorite scenes in any MCU movie, and as far as, like, the dismantlement of a final boss, uh, 
uh, I think that the way Vision takes down Ultron as like the final kill shot um, with this conversation about, yeah, people are problematic, uh, but it's like in the nuances and like the nooks and crannies of those problems that you can like nestle in and maybe see some things that are worthwhile. And I think you, they're hard to see, but I think you missed the fact that you could even see them. Um, I, I thought it's, it felt very powerful right now. I was about to say, uh, it's very poignant for right now. <laughs> you know, and, and I think uh, at the hands of Paul Bettany, who's there in the flesh, and I don't know what the mocap situation was for James Spader. I know he was also working on The Blacklist, which is like a 22-episode deal at NBC. So how he's doing that and Ultron at the same time, uh, it's got to be mostly voice, voice work would be my guess, but I could be totally wrong. Um, that scene is just dynamite. And I would count that as part of the final battle. So the final battle, uh, it slaps. It's a bop that slaps. Uh, and there's a lot of bops that slap in this movie. And there's bops that don't. But we got we to gotta try and parse out which brick is which because Sokovia is in, in a wreck. And sometimes this movie feels like that too, that like you can take some stuff out from underneath the rubble and be like, this is amazing. And then other things are under the rubble and like, oh, that's been pulverized. Yeah, and to do to do an interesting flip here, like I I agree about some of what you said, and and and, and I think the yes, the ending conversation with Ultron Vision is really great. The fight is really awesome throughout the entire thing. Um, to land on, I think you know having the Avengers spend a lot of their time the not heavy hitters saving people is huge, and I think something we don't see a lot of in these superhero films. And I thought it was a great moment to really see and experience that because I think it's important, and I think it was a direct response to another company's movie that just came out recently that didn't have any of that and i think they did a really good job there to me um that said i i do think it's weird though because i i realized like watching this i was like you know they spent all this time saving so many people in sokovia and then yet it's still called the sokovian accords that doesn't make much sense to me like so there's a lot there that i think for all that had to be like we got to set stuff up still didn't pay off in ways that well, made sense you know eventually? what they they saved the day and they save a lot of people but as civil war stresses there is still so much fallout from the fact that you guys basically on your watch, your unregulated watch, allowed an entire city to rise from the ground and nearly crash into the earth. But and they didn't us. know, the government doesn't know that Tony Stark created Ultron. So the government has no idea that Ultron was because of them. They just saw a villain doing that. So as far as the world and the government knows, that is a supervillain who lifted that up and an Avengers showed up. Is that up not to just like day. some yada yada stuff that ends up? Uh, I mean, I guess we'll find out when, when we watch Civil War. I would, but, I would guess. I, w- I would guess that they, you know, they're just right in. Yeah, m- m- minor thing, minor thing. Like yeah. again, having them save so many people was was incredible to watch, and I agree with you. Here's where the flips gonna come. I agree with you about Hawkeye in these moments. I think the ending Hawkeye is phenomenal. I loved his conversation with Scarlet Witch. I thought it was great to establish exactly how he feels and the reality of the situation. I really, really, really liked his moment when Quicksilver was just like, try to keep up. And he was just like, I could do it. You could just do it right now. And no one would question it. It just came out of no. Someone, you know, like that moment's so great. And, you know, for everything that happens, Quicksilver saving him, I thought was was a good moment. My problem and my question is, your statement you still get all of that everything about those moments and everything about quicksilver and and, or not quicksilver hawkeye in those moments the comedy the reason for him motivating scarlet witch still exists without having to introduce the entire kid argument and kid 
a family part of it into this film. And that is the part that I will flip and say I do not like. There's two things involving families in this movie that I think are very bad. Um, the first, the Natasha and Bruce conversation. I remember when we first watched it, I had misread it because I thought Natasha was just calling herself a monster in the sense of like she is also a killer. Rewatching this movie, it is evident almost, and maybe it's debatable, but the fact that it's debatable is a problem, that she is saying she's a monster because she can't have kids. That is problematic. That is, without question, I think, a problematic statement to even consider to be in there. I think that that said, like even, that, just, even if even if Bruce responds better than he responds to that moment, AKA like he doesn't really address it. Otherwise he just like accepts like, okay, so you're a monster as well. So should we just go? Like he just carries on the conversation. Right. And if so he, if he stops that and says like, that doesn't make you a monster. That's a horrible thing that's happened to you. And I'm so sorry. Do you think that that's still worthy of inclusion or should that not have even been included at all? That, that statement should have been included. If he had done that, if he had made that statement, good. Instead, this movie is positing an idea that like, if you can't have kids, you're a monster and you're deformed. And like, there's so many issues with that. And then hammering. I I think that's like, it's like a thing. It's, it's like negligence is, is what that is. Like, I don't think that that's like intentional, you know, like, you can't have a kid you're a monster but i think it's it's negligent to it, to have it in there it, it is and then it gets compounded by the fact of the hawkeye situation and to me you know this is this is its own thing but like this is like a, a, a there's two things to it one the default of okay well we have a character how can we make them interesting what do we do to give them personality i know he's a dad he did the same thing in angel which i'm watching right now and that is we didn't did yeah bad like, the angel dad stuff is awful. It's a turning point in the show. People have pointed that out. And I think it's just such a default. It's the same thing with, how do we make a female character interesting? Oh, uh, I don't know. She's a klepto. She, like, steals stuff now. He did it with Dawn, and they did it with Marie in, in Breaking Bad. It's, like, the defaults of, like, what is the laziest, easiest thing we could do to make a character interesting? And they did it with Hawkeye. Give him a family. He has a family now. And that also, you know, beyond the lazy writing, the other part of it, and I think this ties back and it's compounded that conversation. Like it's not just negligent. It's also, I think weird because there is this idea here that is presented that fiction as a whole, I think. And again, this is not just me being like, ah, you know, my own personal view, but just looking at it from fiction and what they do, because I try to look at fiction and how it influences society in various ways. Fiction has hammer home this idea in a way that if you don't have kids, you don't have value. Hawkeye has meaning all of a sudden because he has children now. And that is the reason that he survives Endgame is because Black Widow tells him, you have to live because you have kids. Tony's sacrifice at the end is great, but he did it because he has a kid. And there's this weird thing in fiction that hammers on this idea that unless you have children, you're not, you don't have the value to live in a way. And like we see it pay off with the Quicksilver situation. Like Hawkeye had to live because he has a family now. And so Quicksilver sacrifices himself in order to keep him alive. And he gets to retire and go home to his kid. And to me, there's layers of it that are problematic in a narrative sense and in a societal sense of like hammering that stuff home a lot. And I think it's just something I really, really noticed and it bugged me in Endgame and then trickled back here when I saw it existing again. And again, I'm not saying like, never have kids. Like, like sure, <laughs> that's not my argument no, here. No, no. Like, kids are great. Like, I like kids. But uh, you're not a but, monster if you don't want them or you're right, not a you're monster not a- if you don't have them. 
Exactly. You're not a monster if you can't have them. You're not a monster if you don't have them. And just because you don't have them doesn't mean you can then be sacrificed for the greater good. <laughs> right. Like right, it's just right. this weird fictional narrative that gets hammered home. And I think it is a like weird family friendliness expounded to other parts of it. And that's just me again t- looking at this from a fictional narrative standpoint. I don't like when fiction just does these weird, strange things. It's like to an extent, it's like how for a long time people who looked like me were only villains. Like, when narrative and fiction hammers home these ideas, it does influence society in weird ways, and that's not always great. I think we need, you know, it would have been better to examine or at least come up with something else to give Hawkeye purpose than a trope, essentially. Um, So, yeah, that's my weird long rant. Uh, People can come at me now to yell at me about how I don't like kids, which, again, is not the case. Uh, Just certain things in fiction need to be, you know, thought out more and better. But, yeah. No, I think think that that's totally fair. Uh, He's at Kev Mahadeo, by the way. If you'd like to to jack Kevin. You know, it's funny because, like, they had it was right there that they could pull on the Hawkeye stuff, right? From the Matt Fraction Hawkeye Absolutely. run, which is very beloved, where he's just like kicking it in his jeans and his like off purple shirt, and he's eating pizza with Pizza Dog or whatever. Like yeah, that pizza version dog. of Hawkeye is right there, and he's just like living that you know that that Brooklyn life uh, on his days off from archerying. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm glad we get the path because to watch his whole family disintegrate. Well, Kevin, you must have just been laughing so hard. No, that, in, that seems in the that seems amazing. Game because you hate children, <laughs> uh, so you loved watching those children evaporate into snapped ash. Thanks, uh, Josh. No, it's it's, <laughs> no. it's a, but, but it but is I a really good. That. I think like there, there's there's probably a a better Hawkeye story to tell, and it, and it feels like it, it really does it does feel like it's here. And I I love Linda Cardinelli so much, like a you know OG Lindsay Weir fan. Um, but, uh, like the whole storyline does just feel like it's here because like, ah, we got to give Hawkeye something. And we're going to see the storyline again next week because Ant-Man has a kid and Ant-Man's motivation about being reunited with his kid and being a good dad is the entire arc from here that we're going to see into the next Ant-Man movie into Endgame. The idea of like getting his kid back is such a drive you know, for him and like, we're not getting his kid back, but you know what I mean? Like, like being connected to his daughter who he's not seen in five years in, in her time, like there's there's so much of that that is also existent in that character. So now you just also have re- repetition in a certain way. Like if they addressed the character slightly differently, great. If they're if, and the you difference know, being like that's like um, obviously like Ant Man as a movie gets like uh, knocked around because of production woes, but taking it as it is, both Ant Man movies are about like generations of, of of a mantle and like family. Like that yes. is like the, that's the bloodline of those movies. So it's not just acceptable that parenthood and the relationship between a father and their child is front and center in the movie. It's like that's the movie. Right. And it's some of the best parts of those movies. Like yeah. this stuff with with Hank and Hope are great. And um, you know, and Janet that gets brought in later. Uh, we'll, you know, we'll do stuff. it next week. Yeah. we'll do it. We next can week. we can hit that next week. But like, uh. those are great ways of doing it, and that those are purposeful. And I think again, this was very much introduced as a we need to make him interesting somehow, and it just became the default of like let's make him a dad. <laughs> and it's and just then, so weird. You know, you you uh, we 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 bared in pretty deep on 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 the Hawkeye piece of it, but you also touched obviously on the Natasha and Bruce scene, and I think we we can't escape this podcast without talking about the the romance that is ultimately abandoned uh between Bruce and Natasha which for me 
is um, a great example of the actors elevating a storyline that really is not working on paper. Um, and if it works at all for any reason, it's because like Mark Ruffalo and Scarlett Johansson are both very good at their jobs and they're kind of cute together. Um, but like, I don't know. For, I don't know. I, I cannot recall having a long conversation with you ever in the history of our friendship about like the Hulk and Scarlet Witch, uh, Scarlet Witch, Black Widow stuff uh, in, in this movie. What's your take on it? It's really funny because the first time around, I remember being like, did we miss something? Was there a romance here that, that happened behind the scenes that we didn't see occur, which happens sometimes in comics. Like when you do flash forward storytelling, obviously that stuff can happen. Uh, but no, I do think this movie showed that they at the beginning they had an attraction and a flirtation, and then that developed as the movie went. I so rewatching it, knowing what I was looking for, it, I do think it was paced out better. And I agree. I think the only way it works is because of the the acting of the two characters and the chemistry that they had, or the two actors and the chemistry they had. I don't. It's weird on paper because it's just like why you know what i mean like it is odd especially i think the ending is interesting in terms of like him having to leave like there was a lot in there that i do think worked but i do think like you said it it's a lot of it is is pushed towards the the abilities of scarlett johansson and mark ruffalo in these roles and their chemistry together because otherwise it is it is a strange combination and it doesn't it doesn't fully fully work like there's just things that feel off like like, was there what, anything, you know, what, what's what's strange about it is the last time we saw Bruce Banner was effectively Avengers, was the last time we had seen Mark Ruffalo, was the first time we'd seen Mark Ruffalo, because we're not counting the Iron Man 3 post-credits, right. even though it's very funny. Um, we did get a, a whole movie where Scarlett Johansson is like the co-lead of Winter Soldier in, in many meaningful ways, but she didn't have her own movie. So two of the Avengers that didn't have their own movies are now without a lot of like comic book history behind it. And um, with shared scenes in the first one, uh, in the first Avengers, you know, the first really meaningful Bruce Banner scene we get is with Scarlet, it's God, Scarlett Johansson. That's why I'm getting tripped up. Scarlet Witch beats Scarlett Johansson. Uh, <laughs> that, that they're together in that. And they've got, they've got, you know, moments that are bobbing and weaving um, in and out of each other's way. But it, it still just kind of feels very sudden that these two have a thing. Cause I don't think that those scenes in the first Avengers are really being crafted with that in mind. Um, and I, I think the thing that makes it feel weirdest to me is that it's just wholesale, basically abandoned, or at least it kind of feels that way. Like they do have like sort of like Bruce, Natasha, moment in infinity war yeah that's that's effectively it and then like it's fine because like a lot of time passes in endgame and he's just gone into full smart hulk mode at this point and so like probably enough life has happened where the two of them have just been able to be like Can we just sit down and eat a thousand waffles together and like cry and like maybe let's just be friends like that happens in life where like a thing was starting to happen and then it didn't happen but you're still friends like that works for me but Marvel just kind of like fully drops it here. And I think like the performances were there, but there was such a backlash to it that it's again, another thing that I think like down the line, once again, feels like, I don't know, what's the line between that being reactionary versus reading the room? Uh, Cause I think that there is a line there. I think like you could read the room and course correct because like it doesn't seem to be landing. And honestly, we're not feeling it either uh, is a thing that I think is completely valid. Is it that 
or is it a reaction to like, now nah, people don't seem to like this stuff, so we're just going to not do it anymore? Well, I think they're connected to a certain extent, right? Because like, I think part of the reason that it doesn't fully work is again that weird exchange because that exchange where they're calling, you know, calling each other monsters, and he just kind of was just like, "Yep, yeah, she's a monster too," I guess. Uh, is bad and people had a bad reaction to it and that's a defining moment in the film in terms of their relationship so all of a sudden you have a defining moment of their relationship a thing that makes people kind of feel icky and so that won't work in the long run because people won't connect to that relationship plus you get that moment then that loses it because of the stuff around it that could have been interesting where she pushes him it's cold it's very black widow where she pushes him into the hole because she needs the hulk (laughs) i think that's an interesting moment but again it loses beats of it because because of the mess around a lot of it. And that's unfortunate because I think, I think in another world, I think wit exchanges, I think with something like what you said, an argument or a piece of them talking, things that could have worked out. Even later on, the Bruce Natasha, like if you had a moment where Bruce is just like, are we, and she's just like, you left, you got on a plane and you flew away. That would have been something at least, something to address it just a little bit more. And all that would have been was one line. But they chose yeah. not to because of the backlash, which I do think is tied into all this other stuff around it. Also, um, a million things happening in those final two Avengers movies. Absolutely. There's so much happening. It's already so, long uh, you running. Know, how much time do they have to address that stuff? That's very fair. Yeah. Um, you also, you know, uh, the, 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 the Bruce and Natasha stuff is also interesting because the Bruce stuff is interesting in this. I mean, you called out the Hulkbuster scene, and I do think it's, it is cool as a fan and like a, weird, a crazy moment to be like, whoa, the Hulkbuster armor. But that is also very much felt like it was a moment that was like, well, we need to have him in the Hulkbuster armor, so we need to have a big fight in the Hulkbuster armor so we can include it, one, in the trailer, and two, to sell some toys. Because that fight went on for a long time, and if you remove it, the only part, the only thing that that scene did, right? Like, that's always the thing. The scene, every scene needs to compel the story forward in some direction, was to show the Hulk, the danger of the Hulk losing it, to compel him to want to leave at the end. That destruction was his motivation. That scene did not have to go on as long as it did. It didn't even have to have the full Hulkbuster fight. And it was cool, yes. Robert Downey Jr. punching him, being like, go to sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep, was great. It was hilarious. But, again, it felt like a moment that was just more about, like, let's stuff some more stuff in here than it was in full service to the full story. I think that's another really good example, though, of, like, a thing that, like, it depends on your weight, which way the seesaw shifts. Because for me, I love it. And, and And I think that the movie earns the right to have a really long Iron Man versus Hulk scene because the science bros are great because Iron Man has a lot of armor because we just saw the final Iron Man movie in which he has so much armor. Um, and that like he has taken a real shine to Bruce Banner and a real respect for the Hulk, but also knows like in a very Batman-y way that like, I got to have backup plans for my friends, baby. Uh, and so, like, this is his kryptonite ring that he keeps in the Batcave. He's got the Hulkbuster armor. And one of the pieces of armor in Iron Man 3 is clearly suggestive of a, of a Hulkbuster idea for Tony. Absolutely, the um, rescue, yeah. You know, so, uh, well, not, not even the rescue. Is it the is, rescue is the Pepper Potts armor, right? Rescue is like, Pepper Potts. I forgot what the name of that one is, but yeah. There's, the, but the, there's the, this the, one that has, like, sort of, like, this, like, uh, like, this, like, uh, uh, like almost like juggernaut helmet dome. Yeah, it uh, has a thing on it, the back that like helps yeah, lift up the thing. Yeah, exactly. So like, clearly, like I feel like it, this is a, a small version uh, of like the Mjolnir moment in Endgame, um, which it, it it does not pack anywhere near the emotional pop uh, or satisfying payoff because that is a moment that is at that point you know um, uh, 
10, 11, something like that movies in the making, right? Um, but this is many movies in the making too. And it, it's a moment that like pops, I think, on like a satisfying action movie level uh, that, that really, really works for me between two characters and two actors who were like the breakout dynamic duo of the first Avengers movie. So I think the, I think the movie fully has the right to spend as much time as it does on Hulk versus Hulk Buster. Um, That's it fair. Really, it really works for me. Um, I think by and large, almost all of the action in this movie really works for me. I think like uh, the like the the chase through Korea, maybe not as much um, because that feels like that's just like international partnership stuff between you know on Disney's end and like that that like is I can see the seams there a little bit. Um, and that seems like probably the most like superfluous action scene to me of the of the whole thing, other than like the birth of Jarvis into Vision, which is so freaking convoluted and weird. And I don't know that I still get it. Like I, I I don't think I do. I don't know if anyone can like put a mind stone in me and make me like fully understand how <laughs> Vision was created. Um, but that is yet another example of a thing that's tempered by Paul Bettany's performance. And then lifting the hammer after everyone being like, how do we know if we can trust you? And Vision being like, I guess you don't, but we're running out of time. And him holding up the hammer to Thor with so much ease of like, we should get going. And everyone sees that. And they're like, all right, dude's worthy. Yep. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, so it has that great payoff. So this is a movie that's filled with like cluster F-E shit, you know, and like sometimes it still like goes down well, even though like you it's. Sometimes you want to eat McDonald's. <laughs> and it's I like think, a, it's a Big Mac, this movie, in a lot of ways. Like it's bad in men, in like many meaningful ways, but sometimes it tastes really good. And then sometimes you think about what you're eating, you feel a little bit bad about it. Not to shame anyone who really enjoys a Big Mac. I love a Big Mac. Probably shouldn't eat them every single day. Um, but if you if you do, like they could go down worse than Avengers Age of Ultron goes down, at least for me. Yeah, and I think, you know, Big Mac is an interesting uh, call-out for it. I, I wish it was more of Should I say that. Whopper to keep it more in line with Iron Man? <laughs> Maybe. Um, I, I feel like I, if this movie wasn't didn't have the parts of it that felt very studio interference-y, that, that were like, this is just a fun Avengers movie he wanted to tell about Ultron and that story, I think we could have ended up with exactly that. A, a fulfilling yeah. Big Mac that was like, well... I mean, it wasn't good for you in the long run. It didn't do a lot in the long run. But when I was eating it, it was great. And I think like that that would have been fine. But I think the mishmash of everything is sort of like it was a Big Mac, but they forgot to put the Thousand Island dressing on it. And you're just like, is there a Thousand Island dressing on a Big Mac? Ooh, did I just give away what the secret sauce is? For- that's 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 in and out. You're talking uh, in and out, bro. There's something with the the Big Mac dressing i think is isn't it like thousand island with ketchup really is there a secret big mac dressing that i didn't know about i guess i, I don't order a thing. big mac i tend to go for the 99 cent thing someone's gonna come at me here on this and this no, is fine man. come at me over this and not the, not <laughs> the Hawkeye stuff yeah. um but yeah i i think you know the, again there's there's a lot of good stuff but i i, I don't know it's so, it's such a weird movie josh it's such a weird movie it's an odd <laughs> movie i i, I think if Whedon had had his druthers, I think that this movie ends up being like uh, like a prime rib steak burger in like, uh, you know, with, with like California raised beef. You know, like I think like he's going for something that I think could have been uh, again. Look at us. We're back to beef. 
uh, <laughs> and the meat that's easy to chew on or not. Um, that <laughs> you I did it full circle. It's the metaphor came back. <laughs> you you know, I I think that he wanted he wanted a movie about um a a creation rebelling against its creator, which is to get like very like you know, Freudian about it, you know, an armchair therapist about it is so compelling based on like Whedon's discomfort with the studio system and ways in which he had as a filmmaker had been burned, felt continued to be burned, maybe felt, felt oppressed in certain ways in terms of the expression of his vision. Um, and ultimately was like burnt out and tired by it. And the, the creator wins instead of the, you know, I don't know if the creator wins instead of the creation, but like, um, in, in, in that idea that I think he's trying to express it, that, that idea is, is suppressed ultimately by the people that have the keys to the creation, which is Marvel and Disney. Uh, and so I think, I think like sort of like the ideas that are at play in the story of Age of Ultron are happening on this meta level with the movie, which makes the movie like, I think in, in very meaningful ways of failure. Um, but I think like a bold failure, a failure that's trying very hard to stand up and say something um, and for a myriad of reasons is unable to do it. And I don't want to say that to like, and I, Marvel and Disney don't need me coming out swinging in their defense. And I don't mean to come out here swinging in defense of, of the man uh, and, and the mouse. Uh, I, I will side with the artist every day of the week that it makes sense for sure. What I'll say is Whedon is not able to, to, to succeed here in ways that other filmmakers are able to moving forward. And what of that is like, is on Whedon as an exhausted filmmaker at this point for a lot of reasons that are totally relatable. Uh, if, if not relatable, then understandable. Um, how much of this is at the feet of Kevin Feige, the, the, the man that is most responsible for Marvel Studios being what it is, does not yet have like full reign over the thing. Um, how much is the future success and the individuality of future Marvel movies hinging on the fact that this movie is more a failure to some people than it is a win? The fact that it can even be questioned. The fact that this Avengers movie is not a unilateral, like everybody loved it. Um, so I, there's a there's a lot there is a lot of meat on that bone, and and I think because it's it's such a fascinating thought exercise, the meta aspects of it, and it contains so many ingredients that I do enjoy, and so many good intentions, even behind some of the whiffs, um, that I think that all of that coalesces to a more positive and enjoyable experience for me than it does uh an unpalatable one sort of like the tragedy of the making of this movie on like almost like a masochistic level is is really compelling to me uh as as not just like a you know a viewer who watches the movie and then turns it off and never thinks about it again but as somebody who like spends a you know at least one you know hour and a half to two hour segment every week talking about these movies ad nauseum with my good friend Kevin. I find this stuff fascinating. And I think that this movie is one of the most fascinating movies of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, even if it's not one of the most successful ones. Yeah, that's probably a good way of putting it too, fascinating versus what I said controversial. I do think it's one of the most fascinating films to look at, especially in in the way that you were discussing. And there are some 
cool things, right? Like, even beyond the, I think the ham-fisted parts in terms of like the Thor and the cave scene, which like, it's so weird. Uh, even like beyond that, there's some interesting things that are in here, right? Like Tony at one point even says, I believe it's Tony, where he says like, you know, that up there, that's the end game. Like that does feel more purposeful now knowing where things end up. And I think that that's a really cool moment. I think the science world stuff is cool. I think that Tony's character arc makes sense going out from this. The Sokovian Accords that fall out from this to head into Civil War makes sense. Tony at the end talking about like how he maybe might end up in the simple life. That is where he ends up in Endgame, you know, um, after the year jump, after Infinity War. Like that is where he ends up. And what's really interesting looking at this, you know, for better or worse, this is the last time those three were going to be together. Not the actors, but the characters. Those three at the end, when they're walking and talking, it kind of hit me. I was watching. I was like, oh, man, they're not going to see each other again until Endgame because the three of them don't unite. Like, they don't until until Endgame happens. And that's kind of incredible. Like, to, like this, that, for some reason, that really did hit me in an interesting way of, like, the final time these three people, these Avengers, the, the, the core three, would be together until the very, very finale of all of this is really interesting to see them go their separates for different reasons and eventually have to come back together at the very, very end and make a stand against Thanos, uh, which is really pays off amazingly, um, was fascinating. So it's weird. Like you said, fascinating movie. We trashed a lot. We liked a lot. And <laughs> we're still chewing on it. We're still trying to chew still and digest chewing on it. We had an extra week and it's it's still hard. Let's get into some feedback. Let's get into some comments from, from the listeners to to help us get through the rest of this. Uh, the great Zach Brooks wrote in, um, this one is good stuff to bridge phase two and phase three, but the movie itself is just overstuffed and not very fun outside of the party scene. I remember being excited by the end new Avengers feel. It definitely sets up Civil War nicely, but this movie just didn't do much for me. Ultron had potential, but this kind of feels like a DC movie to me. Also, I remember the trailer for this was so good. The trailer for this was great. I know, Kevin, you don't always watch trailers. I don't know if you remember. We did. We talked about this trailer long because of the um, There Are No Strings On Me uh, way that they did the read. It was so good. We talked about that trailer for a while. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Hart wrote in with an interesting take. Age of Ultron suffers in relation to its placement in the timeline. With Guardians introducing new characters in a much broader world, this movie uses none of it and brings the story back to Earth. Had this come a movie sooner, maybe it would have felt more in sync. What do you think happens if Age of Ultron and Guardians of the Galaxy swap release dates, Kevin? That's so that means Age of really Ultron comes out after Captain America the Winter Soldier, like immediately. That's interesting. I don't know. I think you also end up in a similar circumstance, though, where you're now still comparing the the avengers age of ultron to what many consider to be the best marvel movie right like a lot of people love winter soldier and its structure and the realism and how it like held on to that stuff so um yeah it's it's uh i don't know that's weird i don't i don't know if it would have changed enough in my opinion i don't think it would have shifted too much um but it does save the cosmic stuff which is interesting It, it does save the cosmic stuff and in a way if this ended the phase to introduce, like, now we're going into a whole new world, so to speak, um, I do think that could have been cool. Then again, we're brought back down to Earth with Ant-Man, so who's yeah. to say? <laughs> who's to say? Um, Professor Strunk writes in, hot takes, says Professor Strunk, the real villain in this movie is Tony Stark, and he should be who Wiggler and Kevin rank in their villain rankings. Since his arrogance created Ultron, Stark is directly responsible for all the death and destruction Ultron wrought. 
What's worse, after Stark is called out about it, instead of admitting his failings as an adult should do, he deflects blame and tries to claim the moral high ground, wrongly acting as if he's the only one giving serious thought to protecting the world. If someone creates a mess that kills dozens of people and then cleans up that mess, he's not a hero who should get to drive off in an Audi. He is someone who should be investigated, potentially prosecuted, and have his Audi sold and the money given to support Sokovia victims. Uh, that is from Professor Strunk. Um, <laughs> not that I disagree. I just love the specific call-out of Audi. Yeah, an yeah. Audi. You don't, get, uh, you don't get to drive out in an Audi. You got to go in an innie. Uh, bad, Sorry. Josh, bad. Sorry. Um, that is interesting, though. I, I, I like that take of Tony Villainous because he didn't learn anything. Um, but I do think we see a way on him, and certainly when Civil War comes around, we, we see that affect heavily and i do think it heads in certain directions i do think tony has an ego and an arrogance to him uh, a desperation to want to save the world and build an armor around it i think makes sense following his vision of the future that scarlet witch showed him i think that compelled it even more about what he needs to do and what he felt he needs to do and the desperation to want to save people and help people so it's interesting like i i, I see where i see where you're going with it and i can appreciate i can appreciate the angle of tony where do you where do you feel, um, how do you ultimately feel about Tony Stark in Age of Ultron following Iron Man 3? Because I know that this is something that we, we put a pin in when we were talking through Iron Man 3. And I know it's something that people talk about in their, um, when people are like real detractors of Age of Ultron and maybe even also Iron Man 3. That sometimes this is like a tandem component of the Tony arc that happens in Iron Man 3 feels negated by Age of Ultron or where he is in Age of Ultron should have been the real response to Avengers. Where are you in the balance of that? I, I've given it a little bit of thought, but I'd love to know where you're at. I mean, I, I think I, I still stand by what I said in terms of like, I think Tony as an internal character and his own, you know, personal self journey came to conclusion in Iron Man 3. And I think it worked. And what we're seeing in Age of Ultron and as we move forward isn't so much him and his own feelings about himself but more about like his motivations to want to protect and save the world he's given a new so to speak mission here um in terms of like how to prevent the destruction he foresaw uh and that led him down the path that we're going to see which ultimately culminates in endgame so again i think this makes sense for the person that we ended up with the the person that we ended up with in, in iron man 3 isn't someone who's just kind of like oh man, I'll definitely reconsider everything I ever do. It is someone who ends up more sure of themselves, more positive that that they can handle problems and they can take care of things. They don't need an armor around themselves because they're good enough, but they do think that the world itself is going to need an armor, so they have to build it. To me, that makes perfect sense. And it, fe- it feels like, and you, you hit on this earlier, that um, it, it feels like everything that Tony Stark is trying to do after Iron Man 3 is to end the war, is to stop all of this. Is, yes. to fi- is, is to find a way to cut the barbed wire and call it for superheroism. You know, that this is a retired activity. There's no need for it anymore. So that he can go settle down and relax, as he indicates at the end of this movie. That's what he's fighting for. Uh, that, that's what he's going for. He's setting up the Ultron system so that there's a suit of armor all around the world so that him and Cap can just, like, go eat lunch. Absolutely. You know? um, and, and I do think that that's still here. And I think that that is going to be a through line that's pretty prevalent in all of his future appearances, certainly in Civil War. You know, I think he's he's 
Like, we can't just, like, run roughshod over this thing. It's not going to work. That's born from a place of, like, I just want to retire. I finally, like, have accepted that I just love Pepper Potts and I don't want to do this stuff anymore. Um, but he's also cursed with, like, that uh, genius brain of his that knows uh, there's shit out there that you're still going to have to apply your particular set of skills towards. Um, so you can't just walk away. You can't walk away without something in place. Uh, and so that tension still exists. So I think that's where he was at the end of Iron Man 3. And I think that ball is advanced in Age of Ultron. Um, for me, it's not an issue. I think Age of Ultron works well as an extension of where he's at at the end of Iron Man 3. And he does make the vision at the end of this, too. Like his fault in creating Ultron is, counter, you know, to an extent counteracted by creating the vision. Now, whether or not you can be like, well, the two, you know, one right doesn't clear the wrong. That's obvious. That's absolutely a discussion to be had and, and, and a fair take. But ultimately he is a scientist right and if you do an experiment and your experiment explodes you could be like okay well I, I i know not to do that this time it doesn't mean you just stop you know you 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 experiment again and you change the variables and you fix your mistakes and you create the thing that you originally intended and i think that's where we saw where division came from and his sureness of like i got it right yeah this time. yeah and i think yeah. that does happen here and it makes sense again for the character like yes the ultron stuff is bad very very bad but the vision that came out of it is good very very good he's worthy enough to pick up the hammer so again like there's things that that work for and against the character but i think propel him in the right direction and make sense into, into the trajectory he's been going um in the spirit of that this is from christina uh christina writes all of the character moments they build here pay off in later films like tony unilaterally creating ultron it's going to lead him to wanting to tie his own hands for civil war people say that there's too much setup in this film and i get that but you really appreciate it more after watching the rest of the infinity saga um, I do think that this is, I don't know if this is a better movie in the wake of the conclusion of the Infinity Saga, Kevin, um, but I think without what happens in this movie, many of the big moments in the conclusion of this arc don't happen. And maybe like the setup could still exist in a different movie, but this is the movie that it exists in. Um, but a lot of uh, a lot of great things are spiraling out of this movie ultimately. And kudos um, to the Russos, right? Like, cause I think they, they looked at what they could take and what was and wasn't working and, and pulled those threads, like pulled those pieces in order to set up the, the, the things that do pay off at the end. So credit to them because they're now going to be taking the reins for the, this franchise. And I, I do think they take the reins and take it well, you know, like uh, we're going to, I'm going to have a lot of great things to say in the coming movies that they do. Yeah. Um, for sure. So yeah, you know, props to that as well. It does set up a lot, but I got to give it a credit to the Russos as well for picking up the right pieces and running with them. All right. Let's rank this movie. Uh, Infinity stone rankings where we're going to rank the movies, the villains, the post credit scenes uh, from a scale of zero to six. I give a score. Kevin gives a score. You out there, dear listener, you give a score as well. If you write into super at post show recaps, Dot com. That's our email address. Uh, give us your scores. We'll average up the audience score. Use that as a third data point. Average that with my score and Kevin's score, and we get the official everything is super score. So in this question, Kevin, this tug of war, uh, Age of Ultron, you good or you bad? Where are you? Um, I think it is important to take a stand. You have to pick a side. It's like this is pre-Civil War stuff. Uh, like I could, I, you know, I guess like I 5.5 to both guardians and winter soldier. I didn't see that. I took too much abuse for, uh, going, uh, taking the middle route here, but I'm not going to middle it here. What I'll do is I will take a, a, a side. This movie is good. 
more than it is bad. It is not a very good movie. It is not an extremely good movie. Um, but it's a, it's a fun movie. It's a good movie. I, I think it's more a good movie than it's not a good movie. It's got meaningful things that don't work, but it's got things that uh, maybe meaninglessly do. <laughs> you know, like things that like meaninglessly really work that are really, really fun to watch. And now, especially that, I think this is the way in which the Infinity Saga impacts my enjoyment of this movie the most is that we're done with Iron Man movies. We're done with Robert Downey Jr. coming back as Iron Man, at least unless some sort of terrible resurrection storyline happens that hopefully would be very good. We're done with Chris Evans as Captain America. This era is done. And so I relish the chance to spend time with these characters. And if this is like the worst occasion, it's still fun. It's still a party. It's maybe a little bit sloppy like the party at Avengers Tower, but it's a party. Um, so I will side on the, the, I will take the stand on the side of good. Barely. It's, a, it's, it's not like a three out of six would be not making a decision. Four out of six is making a decision. This is more good movie than it is a bad movie. But it's not as good as Iron Man 3 for me, which I gave a 4.5. It's better than Thor for me, the first Thor movie. That's where I have it in between. Thor, which is a 3.4, Kiss and a 3.5, and Iron Man 3, which is a 4.5. So I'll give Age of Ultron a 4, and I think that for me that feels like a more than fair score. I think like it represents like the ways in which this movie is fun and that this is a movie that uh, is not as good as it should be. Um, four out of six feels about right and sometimes i feel like that's high and sometimes i feel like that's low um i think that's a fair assessment and i am going to ultimately side with you in a very similar way i'm going to side that the movie is good um i think it has a lot of problems and has a lot of issues but there's a lot of great stuff i think you know again that party scene is flawless i think the action is incredible all the way through um i think the acting is great. The character beats, the interplay is all fantastic. I really like Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver. I really, really like them. My biggest tragedy is the fact that we're not that we didn't get more Quicksilver after this. So ultimately, there's a lot of really good in here, despite a lot of the flaws. And there's a lot of flaws to keep it from being as high as a lot of the other movies that we saw. But it's not as bad as a lot of the movies we saw. It is not the level of Incredible Hulk. It is not the level of Iron Man 2. It is not the level of Thor The Dark World. I think those movies are objectively not very good. Um, but ultimately where it had to land was a tough one for me as well. I contemplated giving it a 4. I contemplated giving it a 4.5. And looking at my scores, 4 was ultimately where I ranked Iron Man 1. Uh, 4.5 was about where I ranked, I think, the the first Captain America and the first or an Iron Man 3. And I don't think the movie is as enjoyable as those. So in a rare occasion, I don't do this often. I ended up at a 4.2. I went middle of the road for my enjoyment about how good is it. I agree it's good, but I sort of chickened out on exactly how good. You think it's you think it's better than Iron Man? I one? do. You know my feelings on this. I think yeah, the first Iron Man is very fun. It has a bad villain. It has a bad third act. Yeah. I think I think there's a lot that works for the first Iron Man really well, but ultimately to me this movie is still better, not by a lot, by point 2. Because of a better villain, but also the interplay, again, between those characters. Like, we have these characters now, and I think once you introduce a world like this, when you don't have these characters interacting as much as they do, and you get that interplay, you do lose something. And I think this movie is a lot more fun 
because of that. It's more fun than Iron Man 1 because of these types of little moments, the language moment and things like that. It's, it, it, it's really entertaining. It's really fun. And it, it brings it to a little bit of a higher level. Not as high as the other two I just mentioned, which also were essentially one-act things, but just had better structure to them. Um, the listeners are lower than both of us, not by a ton. Uh, the listener average is a 3.7 uh, for, for Age of Ultron. So with their score, your score, and mine, Age of Ultron is at a 3.96. It is top seven, top seven baby. It is behind Iron Man 3, which has a 4.19. Wow. And it's ahead, and it's ahead of Thor <laughs> by a lot. Uh, by by a significant amount, it's a you know Age of Ultron has a three point nine six and Thor has a three point two four. Um, so Iron Man three standing tall, <laughs> hang hanging hang tough. And I think next week will be interesting. I I expect Ant Man, Ant Man's going to be immediately on one side or the other of Age of Ultron. Is my prediction is that Ant Man is either going to be right above Age of Ultron or right below Age of Ultron. Um, and I don't know where we'll fall. And I'm looking forward to talking that through. But we got to talk through villains. We got to talk about Ultry, um, a man Ultron, and I think that this movie has a villain that in another universe is a six out of six, um, and I think that so many of the ingredients are here on the board for Ultron to have been a six out of six. James Spader kills it. I think Whedon writes the hell out of Ultron. I think so much else of the movie gets in the way of Ultron getting soul focus and like because of all of that other stuff, it almost makes you stop and wonder, like, why are we doing the Ultron movie? Why aren't we just advancing Infinity bullshit? Um, so that's all unfortunate. And then there's the mouth. And I know I'm jokey about it, but, like, it's creepy and weird and not cool. And it shouldn't exist. Just, it's like giving lips to Optimus Prime. Why are you doing that? The faceplate's iconic. Just give him, like, creepy Ultron chomp mouth. And it would be great. And it stresses the thematics of Vision versus Ultron as human versus inhuman, as we discussed. So I think like beyond the fact that it's viscerally weird that he has the mouth that he does, Ultron, I think it also interferes a little bit with like what they're going for with the character. But man, I love Ultron. I, I really love Spader so much. And it's, it's, this is the example for me of like, a thing about this movie that maybe for many people doesn't work that like really, really works for me. So I said before I would have given him a 5.8 with two points off for the mouth, one per lip. I can't do that, but I am going to give him a five out of six. I love Ultron. I think James Spader's amazing. I think that they probably could have and still could find a way to bring Ultron back at some point and, and do that character better justice. Um, in a future MCU movie. I know like the final Ultron is killed by Vision here, but I don't think the road had has to end there, and I think that there could still be uh, juice worth squeezing in the fruit known as Ultron. Certainly with Wanda's um, uh, WandaVision, there's a chance with her messing around with reality of accidentally bringing back Ultron. And that like being like kind of like, Old school, like uh, like Dick Van Dyke style, uh, like 1960s uh, uh, family show. Like you could imagine, like James Spader in the flesh with like an argyle sweater and like a a, a pipe, uh, you know, literalizing Ultron in her mind. Like something like that could be amazing. Um, yeah, there are ways to really go work. that route. Or he's like talking, like the TV is talking at her and it's his voice. You know, things like that. Yeah, there's stuff that could work really well for that, especially because Ultron and Vision are so connected to each other, right? And I think 
you almost have like a baby Groot to teen Groot to adult back to adult Groot situation here where this is the petulant child that has come out. How do, how does that evolve now that he has been gone slash, you know, growing up off screen? Like with the alternate comes back, is it more it's still weird, but still more, more, more adult now? Um, for me, the, yes, I, James Spader's voice rocked it. I like the weirdness of the character. I think the weirdness of Ultron maybe doesn't work for some people, but it worked for me because like it when, makes we him didn't unique. even talk about Claw uh, about uh, oh, wow. in yeah, the circus, but like the scene where he just like lops his arm off very casually and just like, 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 oh, I'm sorry, like, I'm so it's, sorry about it. It's just you got me worked up about Tony Stark. Like that's a great scene. That's it's a great scene. It's a weird like the including Claw was. I remember being very exciting and only because like if you know who he isn't for Black Panther, that's exciting. But if you didn't, it is a weird scene. But um, I, I I like all of that. I like his weirdness because it makes him unique. It makes him stand out. He stands out so much more above a lot of the other villains that we've seen who have no personality. He's not just like, I'm evil, ha, 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 destroy humanity. He's, he's, he's crazy and weird and eccentric, and I like it. And so I didn't go as high as you did because there are definitely villains I like more, and I know that. Um, so... Uh, I went four for me, a uh, solid four, higher than a lot of the other villains. I believe I have ranked out on this yeah. throughout time. Um, but th- I think he's really well done. I think he's unique and stands out. And the sad part is, like Quicksilver, if it, it would have been nice to get more of him as well. Uh, Ultron is the fourth best villain of the Marvel Cinematic Universe through this point, according to Everything is Super. But there's, uh, oh, in fact, is that is that true? Hold on. There may be some data that has come in late breaking. Nope. No, I'm right. Uh, he is the fourth best villain. There is an asterisk, though, even after all of that. The asterisk, Kevin, is that he is the fourth best villain, but it's a tie. Oh, my God. Uh, Ultron is sharing uh, top four baby status with the Mandarin, a.k.a. Trevor. <laughs> uh, 4.36 for both of them. That is uh, based on my five, your four, and the 4.1 from the audience for Ultron, plus the 4.5, the five, and the 3.6 for Trevor. Uh, we, we're, they're both at 4.36 right now. That's they're fantastic. Both, and I love it. And I did bump down place. Adrian Killian, so he's not as high as he used to be. Yeah, uh, Kevin knocked him down, uh, so, so he's now in the 10 spot, I believe. Uh, what did you knock him down to? Uh, I believe I had him at a 3.5. I knocked him down to a 2.5. Yeah, you're crazy. That's a yeah. terrible take. <laughs> Horrible take. Did not age well. Uh, post-credits rankings. Another instance where I have the cheat sheet. Uh, I'm looking at it right now. I'm I'm higher on this than you are. I have I have Thanos going for the gauntlet as a 4, and you have it as a 2. So that's a, that's a big spread between the two of us. Because it's, so this is a weird thing, right? Like, I think at the time, I was very excited about the post credit scene and like, oh man, Thanos. But a lot of this is done in retrospect. And how, how does it hold up now? How, how excited does it make us now? And there's two things. One, he doesn't do it for a while. There is a, there is a long time to go before sure. Thanos does anything. So that's sort of like, uh, we don't get the payoff yet. And two, very oddly, you know, at the time, it's a cool line, and if you if you don't think about it, it's a cool line. But when he says, "Fine, I'll do it myself," fine, what? He didn't have anyone doing anything this movie. He didn't he didn't send anyone to get a stone or anything in this. He said like Ultron was nothing to do with him. So him saying fine, but isn't Thor saying like there's some sort of cosmic bullshit that's making us all mad at each other? 
Doesn't isn't there some theorizing that Thanos is somehow like chess piecing this? No. He just <laughs> talked about the Infinity Stones and they're in danger, okay. which is yeah. fine, but again, the fine doesn't make sense. This belonged at the end of Guardians. If this was a post-credit scene in Guardians where he said fine, I'll do it myself, it makes sense because he just had Ronan trying to get it. But in the context of what we just saw, this post-credit scene and that line of dialogue is nonsensical. So definitely dropped pretty low on my list because it was just like there is no payoff for this for a long time and the you know it doesn't get me hyped because it's weird because this makes sense yeah Um, you're throwing it you're throwing it down against the gauntlet uh yeah i'm throwing the gauntlet on (laughs) the the listeners are a 3.7 on the gauntlet and i'm a four so i'm closer to them and here are a couple of reasons why one in the spirit of what i had said earlier about age of ultron that like I'm getting to hang out with my friends for among the last times because, like, they're done. Uh, I Thanos is not my friend, but I do love me some Josh Brolin as Thanos. Uh, and I, I think that he's he's so good in the role. Uh, so it just got me, like, hyped to now, like, sort of uh, be closer to talking about those stories uh, with, with Brolin as Thanos because it's just such fun stuff. So that's one. The other thing is, like, on that meta level of this was a messy movie and it was like a messy battle to make it. It's such a queer clash of vision uh, between, um, sorry, I always say that, uh, between Whedon and, uh, and, and Marvel and Disney that it, it almost feels like Thanos being like, fine, I'll just, I'll just like, let's ignore all of this stuff that didn't work. We're going to, I'm, I'm coming. Uh, so like, I kind of like it on that meta level. I kind of like it on this level of like, like th- like Kevin Feige is Thanos in this moment. Like, <laughs> I'm I'm gonna clean this up. You know, like they're like meta levels in which uh, this this really landed with me this time, especially after like viewing Age of Ultron through the lens that I viewed it through this time. Um, so I gave it a four. Maybe maybe it's high, uh, but I I just love the character and I I think that he's he's gonna provide such interesting discourse. I think when we get to Infinity War and Endgame, I don't know how we do that in one podcast a piece. I feel like we'll have to break that up. Uh, it's gonna, it's gonna be. There's just too much to talk about, um, especially for Endgame specifically. Um, so yeah, I I gave it a four. It's a three point two three with your score being very low and my score being like middlingly high. Um, so it's the ninth best post credit scene so far, beneath Thor's Tesseract reveal and above Thor's hammer in Iron Man two. Um. Informal stone rankings. We've already agreed, right? Stan Lee cameo rankings. Age of Ultron is Absolutely. the new number one. No question. Yeah. I think. I think it might stand on there for a while. I'm I'm happy to have it there. Incredible Hulk had a really good run. I think uh, <laughs> we Stan gave Lee Incredible Hulk it, something. <laughs> the Stan Lee drunkenly slurring Excelsior uh, is is really really wonderful, and I'm, it's a thing that I'm so glad uh, exists. How about the final battle rankings? As it stands right now, let's let's do it like this because we have not talked this through. We talked that we love the Sokovia stuff. It works for us. Um, Avengers, the original, number one, is this competitive? I don't think it's as good as the original Avengers. I think the original no, Avengers is... No chance. This should have been a quick no way. Yeah. Uh, the fact that like you're even chewing on it is alarming to me. Uh, is Is the Sokovia battle competitive with Winter Soldier for you? See, that's why I was competitive with Avengers, because I do feel like it's high wow. up there. I don't think Wow. You think this, you think this you think Age of Ultron's final battle is a top two MCU battle up to this point? 
up to this point, it's there's an argument to be made, in my opinion. Like we're like it's Winter Soldier is, is number two, right? Winter Soldier is number two, and Guardians is behind it. And I think that we, uh, I'm I'm looking at like for me, it's like behind Guardians because I think what Gar- Guardians has so much like space adventure behind it, and the dance off is so original uh, that I think Age of Ultron is is like a a lower grade version of the Avengers' final battle. It's still very good. And I think it's above like the spectacle of Iron Man 3, but it's like that spectacle of Iron Man 3 done better would put it above Iron Man 3 for me. Um, But that's where I would probably land it if the choice was solely mine. I can, I can, I can, I can see you that it it isn't as good as Winter Soldier. I I I can attest to that. I do think it's better than Guardians because I love the originality of the dance off. But on the other hand, I love the originality of heroes being heroes and saving people, which is part of this final battle. And I think that's unique and interesting. And they did it very dynamically. And I think you had a lot of really really cool moments between the Hawkeye and and Quicksilver stuff. You had the the Scarlet Witch stuff. I think there's a lot in here. The the interplay between the heroes. Vision confronting Ultron, which you admittedly love so much. It's a great scene. It's true. It's All true. of that, I think, from start to finish, puts it above Guardians, in my opinion. I love the hilarity of Guardians. I love the uniqueness. There was a lot of really good stuff there. But this final battle, I think, is executed really well. And we saw enough things in there that felt unique and stand really well to the test of time that bump it higher than Guardians. And this Fair. is why I was debating Winter Soldier, but ultimately Winter Soldier does have cool things about helping people. Well, you have, it has him with Bucky and, and not fighting you Bucky, have, which I think You is have the floor. Don't don't just buckle uh because I I, I called out the take that, that top two seems crazy because now you're talking. Uh now you're cooking with gas. And if you've got a chance to sway me that Age of Ultron's final battle is better than Winter Soldier, you've got a, there's a window open right now. Yeah, I mean, look, dude, it to me that it it's exactly that. Like there's a lot that you can fault with Ultron, but like Whedon does action really well, especially group dynamic action. And we see a lot of that interplay again. Things bouncing off each other, play like these characters using their powers in tandem. It's visually really really awesome. And we don't see it as much. Yes, there's awesome fight choreography in Winter Soldier, but we don't see that type of interplay that is in a heroic dynamic that we do in this. And again, I got to emphasize the idea of having heroes saving people, and it's not just we're not going to fight Ultron. We're going to save people. They strategically split the party in a way to be like the heavy hitters have to take care of Ultron. Cap, Bucky, or Cap, Bucky, Cap, Natasha, you know, Hawkeye. We're going to help people. Quicksilver speed, that moment where he's running and grabbing people and moving them out of the way, going through, like, that stuff is awesome. It's number and two. Stands it's number out. Two. Yeah, I'm, I'm convinced. I'm sold. You did yeah. it. Yeah. You, you it's, it. it's visually you did awesome. It. And it's going to be hard to live up there again uh, for a while, I think. <laughs> you did it. All right. So the Avengers is number one, and the Avengers Age of Ultron is number two, and Kevin convinced me live here on the record. And I think that you're right. I think you're right. I think you just I just I think you just mapped it all out as for uh it would be competitive with the Avengers if the Avengers wasn't more iconic, I think. Yes. I think I think the Avengers is more iconic. I think the Avengers um, is extremely iconic because it's the first time we saw that we saw an entire forty five minute action scene that looks incredible. Something that uh recently Artemis Fowl, which I watched, tried to pull off and did not do well. Um no. but uh yeah, the, the the iconicness of that also tracking shot in the original Avengers is amazing. I don't know why we're arguing about this in the first place when Ant-Man is coming next week and it's going to be number one, baby. Here's the thing. Number one final it, battle, baby. Here's the thing. It won't be number one, but there are things in the Ant-Man final battle I love. Yeah, and- y'all think I'm joking. It's not going to be number one, but I think the Ant-Man final battle uh, could 
could be higher. It's going to be a top five final battle. It's. <laughs> I, I'm excited I'm to looking, rewatch it. <laughs> our, our top five right now is the Avengers, the Avengers Age of Ultron, Captain America, Winter Soldier, Guardians of the Galaxy, and Iron Man 3. Ant-Man final battle is at the very least for me, Kevin. If you want to prepare arguments otherwise, now's your chance. It's at the very least top five in that crew. Uh, Iron Man 3 will be out of that five. Ant-Man, the final battle is on a train, a toy train set. And those are the things that I think really work. I'm The only thing I would prepare is, is like looking at it again, because now you know I haven't seen the first Ant-Man since theaters, is going to be the contrast of those moments. Because there's not... It's not all that. If it was all that, I think, honestly, it could be even higher. But um, I'm interested to see it because th- those are the parts that I love. And part of me is like, are those the Edgar Wright parts? Because those feel like the Edgar Wright parts. Um, totally. But we'll see. I'm Get also really excited some to credit. talk about Good that. filmmaker. Good filmmaker. Oh, I'm not uh, saying he's a bad filmmaker. I'm just saying Edgar, or Edgar Wright has a very specific style. Ant-Man is a movie that is better than it has any right being, uh, is, is my early take for Ant-Man. Uh, given, given what happens behind the scenes going into Ant-Man, we'll have to spend some time on that next week. Uh, Ant-Man is a better movie than, than it should have been, it, considering it probably just shouldn't have existed. Uh, that's a fair take. I've used that. I, I feel like uh, uh, that's the take for um, 21 Jump Street for me. It's a far funnier <laughs> movie than it has any right or deserves to be, yeah. but it is one of the funniest films I've ever seen. Yeah, I do like that. It's great. All right. Channing Tatum Ant-Man, is really Ant-Man's good, guys. Coming up next week. Oh, uh, did Robin have an update for the Black Widow hair rankings? No, we're going to hold because yeah. I think those those rankings are better when we can add more as opposed to just the one. So we're okay. going to hold on. Sounds good. All right. We're going to hold off on Black that Widow for a little while. Uh, all right. Ant-Man is coming next week. Get your feedback in super at postshowrecaps.com. But you can also hit us up on Twitter at postshowrecaps. I'm at Rand Howard. Don't forget, Kevin is at Kev Mahadeo. At him, parents. Uh, subscribe, <laughs> rate, and review this podcast, please, if you have not done so already. Kevin, this was a blast. What a, this was? It's. I think it's. I think it's fun to chew on the difficult meat with you. Yeah, and digest it slowly. Passing the burger back and forth. Like, what <laughs> yeah, do you think of just that? Bite? You cut into the steak, and we're just sitting here chewing for a while. Like, you know, I appreciate that the steak was made. I think that's the metaphor. In many ways, I appreciate the steak was made. <laughs> In many ways, podcasting is not unlike competitive eating. <laughs> very tired at the end of it. You're oh, sweating. You're loving it when it's happening, but when it's Your over, jaw you're just has like, been oh, doing man. a lot of work. You know, you need so. to ingest a lot of water, a lot of mm-hmm. liquids while it's happening. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But I think it's actually pretty similar. All right, we will feast on ants next week as we talk about Ant Man coming up next on Everything Is Super. Until then, everybody, take care. Bye bye. 